this morning, Hebrews chapter 13. This is the final lesson in our study in the book of Hebrews that we've called Standing Firm. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and one of the ushers will pass one to you. Again, closing out this book and, and there's a lot of exhortations, a lot of encouragements here that are kind of all over the map that the writer's putting in to finish out the letter. Remember, his goal has been to you know, paint this picture of the supremacy of Jesus. Jesus is greater than anything these Christians left behind. They were thinking, maybe we should go back to the Jewish religion that we left. But he's saying, no, Jesus is greater. You should live for him. You should grow in your faith. He's trying to ignite that faith, and especially so here in chapter 13. Now, as I think about that phrase, igniting the faith, I think about actually, you know, starting a fire. And I've had to learn how to start a fire. Not as a kid. I didn't learn then. I had to learn in my adult years. I don't know how many of you fathers can admit to this. And how many times have you gone to teach your kids something, and five minutes before you go to teach them, you go to YouTube to learn it? And then you go exercise it like you knew how you were doing it. Like, I've had to do that with lighting a fire. Guys, I, I wasn't raised in a prepper's home, in a homesteader, you know, environment. So I didn't learn some of these qualities in suburban Arizona. But after being on YouTube, a few years of practice, I've learned that the arrangement of the logs, the way you give it oxygen, right, the, the, you know, the kindling that you put in, the way you place it, you can just throw a match into that pile of wood and it can ignite almost effortlessly. But if you don't do it right, if you make some small mistakes, you can try with all your might. You can lose your mind, and the stack will only smolder. So likewise, what we've got here in Hebrews chapter 13 are some practices that the writer is encouraging the believers to employ that are going to ignite their faith, that are going to reignite their faith, that are going to keep it burning. And he's also going to identify some things that they might be tempted to do that might just make that faith go out, that might make it smolder. Let's read together here verse 7 of chapter 13. The verses will be on the screens. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders. And submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, 
And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for in fact I have written to you quite briefly. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. And so concludes this brief letter. I don't know if we consider it brief, you know. It was pretty long. Uh, It was pretty extensive, and we've been going through this study. But, you know, there's this prayer at the very end. I'm praying that God would equip you to do His will, to work out your faith. And, And here's all these different statements of ways that they can practice their faith, that they can reignite their faith. And so I want to move through those and identify many of those practices for our own life that can ignite and encourage and grow us in our faith. The first encouragement that we read that he gives the Hebrew church is there in verse 7, that they should remember the leaders who spoke the word of God to them, to consider the outcome of their way of life, and then to imitate their behavior. It's clear from this statement that though the people in general, we know this from reading the letter, that the congregation in general was a little unstable in their faith. They were kind of going back and forth. But from this statement, we can see that the leadership had been strong. So the call has been for these individuals in the congregation then to cue off those who are strong in the faith if they themselves want to grow in their faith. That's my first point this morning. If we want to grow in our faith, we have to cue off those who are strong in their faith rather than draw from the weakness sometimes of our peers. Fact is, our spiritual environment around us matters. I mean, just think about how an environment, uh, you know, influences anything. You put something in hot water, it's going to get hotter. You put something in cold water, it's going to get colder. You know, you put us in an environment of peers that are cold in their faith, what's going to happen to our faith? You put us in an environment of people who are enthusiastic and driven and following and obeying the Lord, what do you think is going to happen as a byproduct in your own life? So has their spiritual aspirations been influenced by their peers or by their leaders who are really driven in the faith? And what have your spiritual aspirations been molded by? By those who are cold or those who are hot? Now, I want to clarify by what I mean when I say, you know, are you influenced by those who are hot, by those who are ignited in, your, in their faith? Because you might, you know, just assume, well, that's the person who's the loudest, that's the person who's the most intense, that's the person who's most passionate and zealous. We always look for those outward markers, right, of somebody who's hot, right, of somebody who's, you know, on fire for the Lord. But what's the criteria of these leaders that these Christians should be looking to? It says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. So they're speaking the word of God. And then I want you to consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their behavior. Not just some, you know, some emotionalism. Think about the way that they are living and imitate their behavior. That's what faith is, a way of life built on the word of God. You know, in America, the faith has often become centered around the gathering of the church. You know, that's what faith is. Faith is what we do for one hour or sometimes less on a Sunday once a week. And that's what constitutes faith. But no, 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 no. Faith is a way of life. 
It's who we are. It's how we behave all week long. So don't think about just impressive sermons that go on for 30 or 45 minutes. No, think about the people whose lives are impressive sermons. You know what I mean? Think about the people that you've known. Think about the people that you know around you whose lives are impressive sermons. And don't just appreciate the good qualities that they have. Emulate those qualities. Embody them and become them. It's like, guys, if you want to be a better fisherman, don't hang out with me. Hang out with someone who knows how to fish. You want to become good at jujitsu? Come to branches because like 40 people train here and eventually you'll be sucked into jujitsu. You know, if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to have a strong faith, place yourself in the environment of others who are strong in their faith and your own faith will begin to be stoked. Continuing on, it isn't just the leaders these Christians needed to pull from, but the great high priest, the shepherd of our souls, Jesus himself. For in verse 8, the writer declares, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's a hard transition. There's a lot of hard transitions in this. Where you're like, he's kind of all over the place. Why does all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he declared Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Well, where are these Christians in their faith from what we know studying this letter? They're going like this. And where are those leaders that they're called to imitate? Well, the leaders are maybe going like this. And where's Jesus? He's just this straight line. I mean, if we want to grow in our faith, this is my second point, we have to trade our inconsistency for the consistency of Jesus. We have to pull from the consistency of Jesus. And what a comforting truth for us to pull from, that Jesus is consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same in His message, in His teaching, in His purity, in His holiness, in His character, He doesn't change. He's never changed. He'll never change, right? What about us? We change. Man, it just seems like I could wake up feeling completely different about things one day from the day before. I am so inconsistent. The people around us, man, you see a lot of inconsistency around us. The early church that received this letter, they're all over the place. They were Jews, and then they're Christians, and they're fired up. And then they're thinking, maybe we should be Jews again. And then they're waffling. They're hot. They're cold. They're hot. They're cold. That's why he has to say in verse 9, quit being carried away by all kinds of strange teaching. He's going, you guys are attracted to every single new thing that comes you know, down the wire. Every, every single novel and strange new idea you're attaching yourself to this way, that way, because you're unstable, because you're inconsistent, because you're living ungrounded. You're being moved with the tides of the culture. The tide comes in, it goes out, and then eventually you guys are just being carried away. You know, I've watched the tides of culture come in and out over the 20 years that I've been following Jesus. People get confused when the times are confusing. They get affected by those tides of change. And, you know, interestingly, most of the time, the times are confusing. We're living in confusing times. And people's response to the times is sort of like, what I've seen in my six-year-old twins is they learn to roller skate. You know, my six-year-old twins, they're learning to roller skate together, and they're slipping and they're sliding all over the place, right? Like, just like we're moving all the time with the times moving. And what do they do when they begin to lose balance? They grab onto each other. And what happens when one falls grabbing onto the other one who's also unstable? 
they both fall together. And this is what we see on the scale of society. When you look at society in the times, when you look at the media, when you look at social media, it's just this you know, grand experiment that shows like people are all falling all over each other. Falling all over each other trying to hold on to the next unstable person next to them. But if my twins would just reach out for me, sure-footed as I am, they would stand. Right? And Jesus is the one who is sure-footed. If we attach ourselves to him, even in changing times, we will be made to stand because he's always been the same. Through every season of life, through everything that's ever happened in our world, his objective has been the same, to seek and to save the lost, to share his grace abroad, to call people to repentance, to demonstrate his supreme authority, his sovereign power. When we're unstable in our faith, it's our gaze, not the goalposts that have moved, right? It's our vision of Jesus, not his character, that's changed. It's how we're perceiving Jesus. It's not him and who he actually is that has changed when we feel unstable. So again, they want to keep the flame of their faith burning. they got to imitate the solid leaders that they know. They've got to pull from the consistency of Jesus, trading away their inconsistency. And the writer goes on that they've got to dine on a steady diet of grace, not religion. That's my third point this morning. If we want to grow in our faith... We've we got to be strengthened by grace. We've got to be fueled by grace, not religion. Let's look again at the second half of verse 9. Specifically, he tells these Christians not to eat ceremonial foods, which was a component of the sacrifices in the temple and of many of the festivals of the Jewish religion. He's saying, if you eat these ceremonial foods, they're not going to do anything for you. All that religion is not going to build you up. It's the grace of Jesus, it's the ministry and message of the gospel, of the good news, of the faith that we profess that is actually going to strengthen you for this life of faith. Now this is hard for us to realize as people. I think we're all tempted by the false promises of religion. And it doesn't look the same in our day as it looked like for them. Not many of us are tempted to eat ceremonial foods in the ancient Jewish temple. Like, it doesn't even exist anymore. So none of us are feeling tempted toward that. But what do I mean when I say that we're all tempted to sort of rely on religion? What does that look like for us today? Well, if you think about it in their situation, how easy does it sound that if you just go into the temple and you just offer this sacrifice and you just eat this food, now you're spiritual? How accessible is that? How easy is that? How simple is that? All I have to do is offer this animal and eat this food, and now I'm spiritual? You know, they're looking to do things out here that are going to give them what they're missing in here. And that is what we are constantly tempted to do as well, to do something out here in religious routine that's going to do something to change how we feel in here. We need to be strengthened by grace. By what Jesus has already done for us, the mercy, the forgiveness, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the relationship that's already been granted, the confidence that we have. Man, that's something that starts here and then works itself out. But religion always starts out here and then tries to work itself back in. And it doesn't work. But we're constantly still tempted by religion, even in Christian culture. So many times people say, oh man, something's lacking. Well, you just need to worship this way. You just need to begin to pray this way. 
You just need to attend this conference. You just need to read this book. You just need to do all these things out here, and then suddenly you're going to find all the things that you're missing in here. And there's all kinds of cultural religions, too. They don't call themselves religions, but there's all kinds of belief systems in our culture, whether it's the religion of wellness, or it's the religion of productivity, or it's the religion of wealth building, and all that promises to make you whole just the same. But religion always wears us out because the false promise of religion never pans out or pays off. He's going, the food's not going to do it, guys. You can go have as many meals as you want in the temple, but you're not going to experience the transforming power of the Holy Spirit by eating the meal. I know it sounds a lot easier than engaging with Jesus in your mind and heart and offering yourself to him in a genuine way from the inside out. Yeah, just go eat the food. But the food isn't going to do it. You know, having this diet, losing this amount of weight, praying this particular way, that isn't going to do it. And the more that you try and you try and you try at religion, the more burned out you become because you never get what you are looking for and that flame just begins to diminish. So I say to you today, be careful, church, that you don't get seduced by the false promise of religion, even in the church, but that you remain fueled by grace. Now, how can we tell? How can we tell what we're being fueled by, whether it's grace or religion? Sometimes it's hard to tell because when you're practicing religion, you're doing a bunch of spiritual stuff. You know, hey, I am praying, I am worshiping, I am going to church, I am reading the books, I am going to the conferences, you know, all the stuff, I'm serving. So sometimes it's hard to see, am I being fueled by grace or am I being fueled by religion? But you sort of have to look at the byproduct, you have to look at the fruit and then reverse engineer it. Because a spirit of religion in the church will turn service from an opportunity into a burden. When you start seeing service in the church as a burden rather than an opportunity, it's because you're being fueled by religion. You know, if you're fueled by grace, God is doing something in your own heart that the overflow of that is serving others. And it flows and it's natural and you have the energy. When you're just doing it because you got to do it, because you got to grind, because it's the right thing to do and you hope something happens in your heart as you do it, then it just becomes more and more and more of a burden. It's the spirit of religion. The spirit of religion is going to turn worship, you know, which is your purpose. You're like, man, I want to gather with God's people. I want to be there on Sunday. Like, I want to be around people. I want to pray for them. I want to live my purpose for God. Like, you desire that. It's your purpose. It's your meaning. It turns it into a routine. You know, I guess I got to go to church because I got to be there because I've got to pray because I got to show up. You know, that now you're trying to do something out here to affect a change in here. You don't got to do this stuff. If it's not coming from here, you should want this. This is your purpose. This is your life. You've got to be strengthened by grace. When you got that spirit of religion, giving becomes not your joy anymore. I mean, when we're giving out of grace, like we know what God has given us, we want to give. It's a joy, right? It brings joy. It's more blessed to give than to receive, it says in the Bible. But in religion, that just becomes an obligation. It's another have to. Relationships go from personal and vulnerable to performance. In a spirit of religion, everybody has to appear like they're something and they can't be who they actually are because they're not operating out of that grace, out of their standing in the Lord and who they actually are and the grace that they've received. Well, you got to hide that, who you actually are. You need to look like something in front of other people. And so religion turns community from a place of inclusion 
into a place of isolation. You could be alone in a crowd when there's a spirit of religion in a church because nobody's real, because everybody's putting on a front. Religion may feel good in the short term, but it always kills the soul. Only the gospel restores. Only the grace of Jesus brings resurrection power to our faith. When you're fueled by His grace, you're not going to want anything else or to be part of anything else. So the writer of Hebrews commends his audience to clarify where they belong. That's another way that we can grow in our faith. Clarify where we belong. He starts doing that in verse 10. He says, instead of eating the ceremonial foods in the temple courts, guys, remember, we have an altar to eat at, which those in the temple and those who are ministering in the temple, they don't have any right to eat at. Meaning we're part of a heavenly temple through Jesus. We're not a part of this earthly system and earthly religion and what's going on in the mainstream of the world. And he illustrates this in the following verses through this juxtaposition of like those offerings that are brought into the holy place of the literal temple in the ancient system. They bring the blood in, you know, to, to atone for sin. And then they take the carcass of the animal. All this is from the prescriptions of Leviticus 16. They take the carcass, the body of the animal, the bull, and they burn it outside the wall. And he draws a straight line from the, you know, the body of the bull that was burned outside the wall that wasn't used in the temple system to Jesus. And he goes, look, Jesus was that ultimate sin offering, the only one that could take away your sin and mine once and for all. And he was offered outside the walls, outside the city gate. It wasn't part of the temple system. So join with him. Belong with him. Don't think you've got to participate in this temple culture. Bear the shame that he bore. Because you're not longing to be part of what is. You're longing to be part of what will ultimately be. It's a little complicated sounding. But it's all just a matter of deciding and clarifying where we want to belong. He's going, guys, you want this. You want this system of religion. You want this world. You want this earth. You want to be part of the mainstream? You want to be included? You don't want to get any flack for your faith? Well, what are you excluding yourself from by including yourself here? You're excluding yourself from heaven. You know, to embrace the world is to reject heaven. To reject the world is to long for something more than this world. And I think that's an important key to faith and keeping it strong and burning. we got to clarify where we want to belong. At one point, this early church, we know from our study, they had happily subjected themselves to mistreatment for the sake of Jesus' name. They're getting stuff stolen from them. They're getting thrown in prison. And they're saying, you know what? We long for something greater than this world. We're longing for heaven, so we're going to put up with this. But then at another point, they said, you know what? We're sick of it. We're sick of getting the short end of the stick. We're sick of getting demeaned. We're sick of being uncool and on the outside. And so they flip-flopped. They said, you know what? We're going to change our whole belief system, and we're going to go back to blending in. They had forgotten the warning of James chapter 4, verse 4, when he says, you adulterous people, you know, you, you, you believe in this, and then you believe in this at the same time. One day you're this, one day you're that. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So my question for you this morning, the question that he's saying to them, what side are you on? If you've got one foot in the world, in its values, in its goals, in its practices, and sin, and you've got one foot with God, why are you surprised that you're feeling split in two? 
Because those two things are going in opposite directions. They're not going in the same direction. If you want your faith to be strong, if you want your faith to be ignited, you've got to choose which side you're going to be on. You're going to feel split in two as long as you keep one foot in the world and one foot on the other. Clarify where you want to belong. But the writer goes on saying, don't just belong with Jesus. Walk the walk yourself. Exercise your faith by offering the true sacrifices that are pleasing to God. That's, that's my fifth point this morning. If we want to grow in our faith, we've got to exercise it. It's that simple. You want to grow in your faith? You've got to exercise it by offering the true sacrifices, right? They had these false sacrifices, not what God desired. But there's true sacrifices that are pleasing to God. And what are they in following Jesus? Verses 15 and 16. It's not offering the blood of animals. It's professing Jesus' name. It's praising Him. It's, it's doing good. It's sharing what you have with others who are in need out of love. That's faith that's being exercised. You know, very often as a pastor, I'll find that people feel dry in their relationship with the Lord, and the flame of their faith is dim. Their muscles are weak because there's been no exercise. There's been no exercise of it. Who have they told about Jesus? Where have they been praising him? You know, where have they done any good at all? Where have they shared the things that they have with others who are in need? So often I find we're waiting for Jesus to do something in us that he's waiting for us to do with our lives for him. We're waiting on Jesus. Jesus, why don't you do this thing in my life? I need you to do this in my life. He's like, I'm, I'm waiting for you to do it through your life. You know, we know this principle in the body. I've used it before. I say, you don't use a muscle, it atrophies. It gets weaker. The body is not responsible to keep every muscle strong and strengthened. When it gets used, the body, the rest of the body is going to keep it fueled. It's going to get the oxygen going toward it. It's going to help repair that muscle. So the body has something to do with the restoration of the muscles. But the muscle can't just sit there and go, man, why isn't the body keeping me strengthened? And so many of us, we get to places in our life going, Jesus, why aren't you strengthening me? You know, why isn't someone else calling me into something to make me strengthened? When the whole time God has already given us direction for how we can be utilized and how we can be strengthened. So some of you are waiting for someone else to do something for you. But if you want to be strong, you've got to contribute. You've got to share. Offer the sacrifices that are pleasing to God. Again, not out of religion, but out of response to the grace that has been freely gifted to you. Now, as we finish today, the final encouragement I see for the church in this list of encouragements that will keep their faith strong, it hits home because it has to do with how they relate to their leaders. And now I'm paraphrasing, but the writer says in verse 17, submit to them. Essentially, let them lead. You know, that, that's the sixth element that I want to share with you about it. You, know, you want to grow in your faith? Let leaders lead. Let the leaders lead. Don't make them report to all of you because remember, they already report to someone. They, they watch over you as ones who must give an account. Essentially, they don't need 500 bosses or in your small group, they don't need 20 bosses. You know, whichever level of leadership it is you're referring to, this isn't just referring to me, this is referring to the elder board, staff, leaders in the volunteer ministries. Like, they're reporting ultimately to God. They don't need to report to everybody else. 
And guys, I get it. If you want to fix me at times, if you want to straighten me out, if you look at what's going on in the church and you say, man, you got it wrong here or, or something's going wrong here, I get it. I'm sympathetic with that desire and that mindset because, guys, nobody knows I can be better more than I know I can be better. I know lots of ways I can be better. I don't use this passage, let me just clarify, as this sort of like immutable platform where I'm the anointed one of the Lord and I do everything right and everybody has to listen to me and nobody can ever criticize me because you'll always be wrong. That's not what this says. You need to think about me, consider the outcome of my way of life and imitate any part of me that's following Christ. So run me through the same filter as any other leader. So, so I'm telling you, I can be better. I'm aware of that. And I also have a critical mind. If you're critical of me, if you're critical of things going on in the church from time to time, I'm critical. Guys, I'm the guy that goes into my own home, and I've done a lot of work on my home over the years, and I can see, like, in a sea of good, the one baseboard that has the chip out of it. And I can see the one tile that's askew, and every single time I go in the house, I look at it. And I'm reminded of it. And I, I get it. I have that mind. So I'm, again, I'm sympathetic. If you listen to a whole sermon or you look at the whole byproduct of the church and you can identify and you want to share with me the one thing that you think was wrong. When maybe consciously and unconsciously you're affirming all the good, but it's not coming out of your mouth. But let me just say this. Whether it's your small group leader staff or it's me or it's the elders, the cumulative effect of all of those negative comments is a mountain of frustration. And when the leaders grind and suffer those complaints in a culture of religion, everyone ultimately suffers. It's friendly fire in the midst of spiritual warfare. And it's got a byproduct. There's this Barna study that came out that followed the aging of the pastorate in America. And it found only one in seven pastors today is under 40 years old. Whereas 30 years ago, that was one in three. 30 years ago, one in three pastors was in my age demographic. I'm 36. I got four more years to bring down the average. And then I'm part of the problem that's beginning to show. Like, I'm going to be aging with everyone else, right? But one in seven today is in my age demographic versus 30 years ago when one in three. The church had a lot more runway in front of it as it relates to leadership. Now over half of pastors are age 55 and above. The percentage of church leaders 65 and older has nearly tripled in the past 30 years, meaning there are now more pastors in the oldest age bracket than there are leaders younger than 40. There are more pastors with less runway than there are those that have more runway in the church today. And there are a lot of reasons for these demographic shifts, but anecdotally, my young peers, many of the good ones, were devoured by their flocks. They were eaten alive. So the writer of Hebrews asked the congregation to make the job a joy for spiritual leaders. Hey guys, let's find the places where we can row in the same direction and let God handle the vast majority of the rest because when we row in opposite directions, we all get stuck. We all get stuck. So many good bits of wisdom, practices that can grow and strengthen and reignite your faith. And man, each one of these could be a sermon in their own right. 
But he's just jotting down every last thing that he could think of that's going to push these guys forward into the plans that God has for them. And I don't know where you are today. I mean, this is you know, all over the map of practices that you can apply in your own life that are going to increase and grow your faith. So at this point of the message, you know, I'm just going to rely on the Holy Spirit that God is going to identify for you which one or which ones or all of them you're going to commit to. You're going to say, man, that was the message for me today. Maybe you've got to imitate those who are strong. You look at your surroundings and your spiritual environment right now. Is it cold or is it hot? Your environment is going to affect you. You've got to get around somebody. The outcome of their way of life shows that they have faith. And you've got to follow up with them and say, you know what, I'm going to go to that Colossians Bible study. I'm going to ask to be a part of that discipleship group and mentorship. I'm going to get around some people whose lives I want to emulate. You've got to imitate the faith of those who are strong. Right now, it's not happening for you. Maybe you're someone who feels that message. You've got to pull from the consistency of Jesus. You can feel that you're this person. And right now, maybe because of a lot of factors in your life, there's just that inconsistency. But don't start leaning on all the other people that are slipping around. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What a comforting truth. Anything that you gain from Christ, any place that you lean on Christ, anything you learn in Christ, that's going to stay. That's going to stand the test of time. That's going to teach you to go from this in your life to this when you pull from the consistency of Jesus. So you just need to dwell in his presence. You need to dwell in the world word. You need to maybe become fueled by grace and not religion. Maybe you're finding today that, yeah, that's you. Why am I so tired? Why do I feel like this is an obligation? Why am I just going through the motions in this routine? Like It's not coming from a place that's like genuine and from the soul and from my heart and mind. Maybe that's evidence. You've just been doing a religion. And that flame is just going to get dimmer and dimmer and dimmer until you receive afresh the grace, the gospel, personally in your relationship between you and God so that it flows from the inside out. Maybe you need to clarify where you belong. You're living two lives. You got one foot in the world. You're living a life of sin. You got one foot. You're like kind of interested in Jesus and the gospel. You're getting split in two. You're not feeling great. You're wondering why? Friendship with the world is to be an enemy of God because the two are going in opposite directions. Decide where you belong. Maybe that's the message for you this morning. Maybe you've got to exercise your faith. There's so many of you that are strong. You have so much to offer. You have all these spiritual gifts. But if you don't flex that muscle, it's just going to feel weaker and weaker and weaker. And you can keep waiting. You can keep waiting on God, waiting on someone else to do something for you that God is already seeking to do through you. Step in, commit, serve, open your home. You lead the discipleship group. You serve on the serve team. You offer your resources. You share what you have with those in need. And maybe you just got all this friction in your life because all the time you're just being negative about those who are leading you rather than going with the flow, rowing with the motion toward Jesus. If it's just criticism, criticism, criticism all the time of others, then of course that faith is going to grow dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. Find where you can link up with those who are giving an account to Jesus and row with them. I don't know what message the Lord is leaving with you, but I'm believing that every single person in this room has a message that they can take from Hebrews 13. Let's receive that in prayer this morning. Would you join with me in prayer?
Heavenly Father, we just believe whether we are here in church for the first time or whether we've been following you for 50 years, that every time we open up your word, it's not just your word, God, you're alive in your word by your Holy Spirit. And you can address the dynamics of everybody's life in here on an individual level in a way that I can't, in a way that a sermon can't. You can make this real for every single one of us. You can take it from something we've heard with our ears to something that changes the way we're going to live. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak to all the hearts in this room this morning. This message isn't about anything that we can just do in this space. It has everything to do with the practices that are going to follow after we leave this space, the way of life that we're going to step into. God, would you prompt all of the individuals that are here this morning, would you ignite the faith, encourage the faith, grow the faith of my brothers and sisters, would they come back to Hebrews 13 if they're feeling that faith growing dim and when they put into practice the truth of your word, would we emulate those who are strong? Would we pull from your consistency, Jesus? Would we always be fueled by grace and not religion? God, we belong with you. We want to live for you and exercise our faith. We want to work together, not against each other, God. Bring that to life. Turn this flame into just a blaze effortlessly by the work of your Holy Spirit.